The Guardian. Hello, I'm Adam Vaughan. On today's Guardian Daily podcast, we take a detailed look at the Deepwater Horizon oil rig disaster. It's been confirmed as the worst oil spill in US history and has cost BP an estimated $850 million so far. Now, with the disaster in its fifth week, President Obama defended his administration's response. The day that the rig collapsed and fell to the bottom of the ocean, I had my team in the Oval Office that first day. Those who think that we were either slow on our response or lacked urgency don't know the facts. This has been our highest priority since this crisis occurred. The challenge we have is that we have not seen a leak like this before. And so people are going to be frustrated until it stops. Over the past few weeks, it has begun to wash up on beaches, seep into wetlands and devastate coastal communities throughout the area, which depend on the Gulf for their livelihoods. As we speak, the high-risk top-kill operation, pumping gallons of thick mud into the ocean floor, is continuing. BP's Chief Operating Officer Doug Suttles said it was going to plan. Well, ultimately what we, want, what we need to see is that the whale can't flow to surface. Um, that will be the way we know uh, it's successful. Uh, for that to occur will require us to make sure that uh, this mud we've pumped in the well prevents it from flowing back. And then ultimately we need to cap the well with cement. Well, before we discuss the spill, its environmental, business and political fallout, let's hear from our US correspondent, Ed Pilkington, who is in Louisiana. It's a very changeable uh, picture down here and by the Mississippi. I've spent the last couple of days down towards the mouth of the river uh, and into the marshlands around it, which are these incredibly sensitive, um, very rich ecosystems that fan out from the Mississippi uh, all around the, the coast of the Gulf. And it's very changeable. The, uh, from around Sunday and Monday, the oil actually started landing ashore, which it hadn't done pretty much for uh, the best part of a month. It had been sort of swirling out to sea in a sort of huge circle. But the, such were the winds that it did start to drive the oil on shore. There were beaches that were impacted. Um, there were barrier islands. And most worryingly, the actual marshlands themselves, which are like these tall grasslands uh, with water sort of streaming between them. Uh, the oil is actually being driven into the marshlands, which is very worrying because that's where you get uh, a lot of the nurseries for the fish, but also you get nesting grounds for pelicans and terns and lots of other amazing um, bird life. And that was around Sunday and Monday. I, I went out on a boat yesterday and it was bizarre because the oil had just vanished and it had all the wind had changed and all been driven back out to sea. So it kind of changing day by day here. And so it's, it's obviously become a lot more visible there on the coast. That seems to have really ramped up the pressure. I mean, uh, what, what do you, what, how are the locals reacting to the, the sort of latest reassurances from Obama and BP? They've kind of reached the end of the tether, really. I mean, there's a real feeling of we've had enough promises. We're not seeing any action. We're going to do it ourselves. Um, and... Literally, that's what people are doing. They've started sort of commandeering boats that had been sitting there idle, not being used by BP, and are taking them out themselves and using them to put their own boom down, which are these sort of long lines of, of floats which they use to try and hold back the oil. 
And because things are so changeable in terms of weather patterns and when the oil arrives, they say, we've had a month, we should now be ready. You know, we should have all the main marshlands blocked off with boom. And they say, and yet, you know, the actual boom cover is very, very patchy. It's, it's sort of ad hoc, piecemeal. And they say that's no longer satisfactory. So they're starting to do things on their own, irrespective of what BP says they should be doing. So this, this talk of Dunkirk spirit, then there is an element of truth to that. People are pulling together and actually getting out there. Yes, I was at a public meeting a couple of nights ago where one of the, the local people stood up and stood right in front of the head of the Coast Guard for Louisiana and said, we want a Dunkirk spirit. The, the Coast Guard could, um, couldn't actually understand what he meant. And he had to explain that what he meant was we need to throw everything we can at this to really focus at it and, and start to take real action. And that's the problem. There's a sense that you know, people are sitting back. There's a feeling, rightly or wrongly, locally, that BP, the federal government, the Coast Guard have been sitting back uh, and not preparing enough for when the oil is finally driven ashore. And, you know, it's only a matter of time. It's taken much longer than people expected, it has to be said. It's been over a month now. But when it arrives and is driven into the marshlands, it's going to be incredibly difficult to get it out because this is just like a, a sort of a, a maze of grasses and it's really difficult to go in there uh, and get the oil out of it. So they want it protected rather than having to do a terribly difficult clean-up job after the event. And, and Ed, what's the, uh, what's the latest we're hearing from official channels on how the top kill is going? We, we've been told it's been going well so far, but BP admits it hasn't stopped the flow. When can we expect to hear the results of it? Well, we always knew it was going to take quite a long time because uh, it, it can take 24 hours to, to get the stuff in and then it can take another 24 hours to monitor it and see if it's working. And that's the sort of pretty much a shortest time frame. So it's going to be a while before we really know. And you know, this is such an unprecedented um, event. I mean, it's been done before, but always on top of the surface. It's never been done a mile under the, uh, the sea. Uh, no one knows if it's going to work. The, the BP's estimate of 60 to 70% chance of working is, you know, it seems to me a complete you know, figure plucked out of the air. Uh, and until we hear the final uh, uh, assessment from BP, I really wouldn't read anything into this at all. It's quite possible it won't work at all. It could be a huge success. No one knows. Now, joining me to discuss this further in the studio, I have Terry McAllister. Hello, Terry. I have the, he's the Guardian's energy editor. I'll just do that again, actually. Now, joining me to discuss this further in the studio, I have Terry McAllister, the Guardian's energy editor. Hello, Terry. Hi. And we've got David Adam, our environment correspondent. Hi, David. Hello. And on the line, our US environmental correspondent, Suzanne Goldenberg. Hello. Hello. Hello to all of you. Now, the first question is for you, Suzanne. Um, I mean, opponents uh, have been calling this Obama's Katrina. Uh, I mean, do you think that's fair? And is that a label that's going to stick? Um, I think it's not fair, first of all. I mean, the Obama administration has deployed a huge amount of resources to deal with this bill. Uh, but there's a perception that the administration is still not entirely in charge of this disaster. And I think that perception is going to stick. Um, certainly... Uh, the Republicans are going to use a Katrina label going into the midterm elections. But Obama has been on the defensive, and he's been uh, working overtime to say, look, I'm in charge here. And when a president is reduced to having to say over and over that he's in charge, that's a bad sign. Yeah, it seems like it's been a, a bit of a, a PR problem, really. I mean, I mean, is your impression the federal government's actually handled the spill quite well? 
Uh, I wouldn't say that. I would say they've deployed a lot of resources. I think they've made uh, a number of really big strategic errors, and I think some of this are is because of the inequality in resources and power between big industry, the big oil, and the federal government. I think, and you know, Obama himself has admitted that they relied too much on BP to provide the estimates. Uh, of the size of the spill, and they sort of have also let PP uh, take too much charge in determining how to clean up the spill and, and deciding what kind of dispersants to use. So those are issues that are coming back to haunt them, the size of the spill and the, the cleanup. And, uh, I mean, it seems, uh, it seems clear now that the regulators, such as the Minerals Management Service, uh, the MMS, uh, we, we had too much of a cosy relationship with the industry they were meant to be regulating. Uh, we had reports of staff receiving gifts and uh, its directors now have been fired. I mean, do you think that's going to be enough to reform it? No, no. And, and look, look, I mean, everyone knew that there were problems in the MMS. There were, um, in the Minerals Management Service, there were reports of sex and coke parties um, in 2008. Now, Obama came in. Uh, he knew that there were severe problems with this industry, and yet he decided to expand offshore oil drilling in uh, the Gulf of Mexico and off the coast of Alaska, even, you know, even though he knew that the regulatory framework was not adequate. So I think he's also going to have to answer for that. So he's going to have to take some responsibility. He can't just blame it on the last administration, can he? No, he can't blame it on somebody who's only been in the job nine months. No, that was his person. And, and in fact, Obama's gone on and um, approved the hiring of BP officials in high positions in the same agency. So there are systemic problems there that are, you know, his fault. Uh, Terry, uh, BP's chief executive, Tony Hayward, who, who's barely been out of the uh, media so far, has been widely criticised as well for some of his comments after the spill. I know um, an interview with us, he said uh, it was a relatively tiny spill in a very big ocean. Uh, how, how damaging has this been? Um, I think it's been very damaging. Tony Hayward is not, um, he would himself admit that um, the sort of public relations side is not his strongest suite. And he is, in fact, um, very much a technocrat, a geologist, um, 10 years in exploration and development. So, yeah, the PR, the PR side hasn't been particularly well handled. They've also got a new head of press who's only been there um, for about 12 months, and that doesn't give them the kind of clout that they need at this particular moment. And, and how do you rate the company's responses on a whole? Well, I think given the circumstances, any company under those kind of um, conditions would suffer very, very badly. But um, quite clearly, um, the whole problem has raised systemic issues, both in terms of the kind of relationship between the regulator and the oil industry that um, Suzanne has just talked about, and the way the industry itself operates. There is a huge imbalance, as as, um, Suzanne said, and that has skewed everybody's perceptions about um, what the oil industry can and cannot do. And I mean, th- this obviously has huge political and uh, fallout, and and also a ramification for the energy industry. But David, I mean, on on, on the ground, the the true story here is the, is the environmental damage. I mean, what's the scale of that so far? It's well, it's not good, is it? I mean, I think Hayward's correct in saying saying that it is a small spill in a large ocean. The problem is that it's going to hit the shore, and oil is is really bad news when it hits the shore. I mean, we should, I think, at least. Um, draw attention to the fact that 11 people did die in this accident um, so the environmental damage is, is clearly uh, I think an issue for the longer term um, but I, I mean it can't be good I, I think we've seen uh, the history 
um, of oil spills and what they do with the coast. I think there are lingering questions about what's going to happen with the oil beneath the surface. That's one of the unusual features about this spill because it happened on the seabed. Uh, usually oil rises to the surface. In this case, they've dispersed it very deep in deep, very deep water. And there's some suggestions that it's led to this sort of huge cloud of underwater oil, which might have an effect on, on, the, on the stuff in the sea, whereas usually it's the stuff on the coast, which is affected by oil spills. Um, and then there's the knock-on effect on... Uh, the food chains, you know, as you mentioned, a lot of communities rely on on the food and on this stuff in the sea for their um, livelihoods, um, and some of that won't play out for years. You know, I mean, we won't know what the full impact has been on on the higher organisms that, that eat the stuff that lives in the sea. I mean, we're uh, talking for, for a while. We're talking about a really uh, naturally rich area, aren't we, in terms of biodiversity as well? I mean, there's famous bird reserves there. Roosevelt has his reserves there, and there's you know, brown pelicans. Absolutely. Egrets, I, mean, I mean, I think you know, there's no question in the short term this is a total disaster for for the wildlife but i think there are some signs i mean there there are some it's relatively warm water so the oil will break down quite quickly oil is a natural product essentially and it will it will break down and it does break down quite quickly um so i think i mean it it, it's very difficult to know what the longer term impact is going to be but certainly it's not it's just not a good thing to do and Terry, uh, I mean, Obama's put the uh, blame squarely on BP, or as he's uh, recently taken to calling it British Petroleum. Um, I mean, is that fair, or is this just an accident? Does this stuff just happen? Well, I think um, these accidents do happen, and, and they happen quite regularly. And in fact, as we speak, there's a blowout in the North Sea, in the Norwegian sector, and this is um, it's a very dangerous industry, and um, you do get accidents. But what's pointed up um, in the BP case is that it's got a poor history, in fact, a a dreadful history over the last um, six or seven years in the United States, where we've seen the Texas City refinery explosion. We've seen Alaskan pipeline fractures. We've seen propylene trading irregularities. There's a whole series, a very bad backstory for BP, which puts it in a very vulnerable position when it happens to... um, get involved in something like we've seen in the Gulf. I think it could have happened to almost any company, but you've got to question whether this is a particular company that takes more risk than it should. I think what's very damaging for the whole industry is that once we've had the blowout, BP has pretty much put its hands in the air and said, we don't know what to do about this. The fact that it got into that situation, drilled in deep water, and then has a problem and says, mm, well, we hadn't really prepared for this, is, is, is um, devastating for the whole industry. I, th- I think it is worth emphasising that. I think the fact this is in such a hard place to get to. I mean, you know, it's, it's a mi- literally a mile down. Um, people were saying to me yesterday, it would be easier to fix the space station than it is to try and um, get things down there because in space you can put people there you can move around um, there's huge pressures down there um, you know you're doing it someone described it as you're trying to thread a needle wearing boxing gloves it's it's just it's just very 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 difficult and I think a lot of people aren't aware as Terry was saying as the way the industry is going I mean I've been in northern Norway and seen um, the piping in in gas from from fields miles offshore, and and they've, they haven't even got rigs anymore. They've got these sort of plates anchored to the seabed, and the gas is all brought in naturally. And then I mean, it's astonishing engineering. It comes in over these um, pipes on the seafloor, over undersea mountains, and and it's just becoming harder and harder to find this stuff that we all rely on. So there may be some truth in that it's a uh, it's it's an accident, but I mean uh, I mean it seems maybe Terry that. Uh 
uh, from Obama's uh, sort of charges that there was no backup plan. Is that, I mean, does that ring true? Well, clearly it rings true. There was no backup. Um, BP have admitted that. And as I say, that's what I find very damaging. Um, but I would also think it's worth saying that, it, that clearly the, reg- the BP, especially as a foreign company, is a, an easier target. I think the Minerals and Management Service is a relatively easy target as the regulator. I think also politicians have got to look to themselves also, something they don't want to do at the moment, and say, um, have we been compromised as well by the enormous revenues they gain from the oil industry and the enormous power the oil industry's got in terms of um, political lobbying? That needs to be looked at. Uh, And on that subject, Suzanne, uh, I mean, ironically, uh, President Obama had announced uh, in the weeks just before the rig uh, exploded that he was ready to permit more offshore drilling. I mean, mean, where does the stand now on offshore drilling? Well, I mean, that's the astonishing thing to some people is that he is determined to go ahead with uh, expansion of offshore drilling, uh, which he insists can be done uh, safely, despite, you know, growing opposition from uh, Democratic senators um, on the Atlantic and, and Pacific coast. Um, I want to get back to the point that Terry raised and that, you know, the Mineral Management Service brought in $13 billion in royalties. Um, last year. It's a huge uh, source, source of revenue uh, for the administration. And there's also, you know, it's just so much sort of political, um, you know, maneuvering around this. I mean, the, US, the amount of offshore oil, uh, it amounts to only a fraction of what the U.S. Uh, needs, you know. And, and, you know, Obama himself admits that America cannot, you know, um, fill its energy needs by by using offshore oil. So it's just a fraction of what it needs, and yet there's, you know, a whole lot of politics around this. There are uh, political figures like Sarah Palin saying, drill, baby, drill. And so he actually bowed to them and decided to go ahead and allow offshore drilling last March because it was politically expedient, and he did not have the regulatory uh, framework in place, and he's now stuck. And the, I mean, on, on that political uh, sort of ramifications, I mean, Bill uh, Palin's mantra uh, really became a sort of Republican rallying call. I mean, has is, is that come back to haunt them now? I mean, or, or are they still uh, as... Uh... Ab- ab- absolutely. I mean, now you've got Sarah Palin accusing Obama of being in bed with BP, you know, of being sort of, you know, beholden to the oil industry, which is absolutely ridiculous. Because, She's got short memory. You know, <laughs> yeah. Well, and also, look, you know, there's a whole, there has been a whole culture of deregulation in the U.S. over the last decade that really accelerated under the Bush administration, where the whole culture was, oh, government oversight, safety regulations, environmental regulations, well, they just get in the way of, of progress and making money. And we've seen that on Wall Street, and, and now we're seeing it in the Gulf of Mexico. What, what happens when that culture takes hold? And Terry, um, what, what's, what's the, what does the business world make of this? I mean, what does it make of BP's efforts at crisis management? Um, <clears throat> I think they're uh, extremely concerned. You can see from um, $35 billion being wiped off the share price that um, Wall Street and the City of London is extremely concerned about the situation. It's very worried about um, the uncertainty that's being created. The moment that well is capped and people can start to really put some kind of um, cap on the kind of claims that they might face, then everyone will feel safer. But at the moment, the BP's in a kind of free-fall situation, and um, if it goes much lower, there's going to be questions about the leadership of Tony Hayward and whether he could continue as chief executive. 
and I mean, I mean, obviously, this is severe for BP. What, what about the oil industry, the wider oil industry? Does, will this affect it? Well, I was talking to an oil analyst in New York last night, and he was telling me that BP is now um, being helped by ExxonMobil and all other oil companies in the States. They're not natural collaborators, oil companies. They're extremely competitive and aggressive with each other. But um, I think that indicates that everyone realises BP is sinking and the rest of the industry is going down with it. I mean, on, on that, I mean, does, does this uh, kind of bury once and for all the uh, the BP's attempted rebranding with a nice green and yellow logo and uh, beyond beyond petroleum as a tagline? I mean, is that is that buried? Is this image, you know, the pic, the sort of horrifying pictures we've seen, buried that once and for all? Well, they continue to persevere with that beyond petroleum, which is um, deeply ironic, to put it mildly. Um, John Brown had a the former chief executive. He invented that, and he stuck with it, even though they were criticised very heavily for it. Under Tony Hayward, the new chief executive, they have pretty much abandoned all their clean technology and enthusiasm for renewable energy completely. And they've gone into the dirtiest forms of oil production, like the tar sands of Canada. So beyond petroleum was a bit of a joke already. Now it, it's, it's um, beyond irony, really. I mean, on that, on that, David, I mean, do you think this will make... Uh, I mean, BP's rebranding exercise, which many described as greenwash at the time, uh, and they were spending lots of money on advertising. Um, I mean, do you think this will make other companies more wary of attempts to green themselves, present themselves as green like that? I, well, yes, perhaps. I think I think there are, there are there are more reliable problems with trying to rebrand yourself than this kind of accident. You know, you can you can pretty much predict. Uh, that people will be able to look at just how much you're investing in, in offshore exploration and how much you're investing in solar panels and wind turbines and so on and so on. So you, you don't need an accident like this to expose that kind of hypocrisy. Although clearly, you know, if rebranding is about image, then this is just the worst image that, that they could have they could have hoped for. Well, Terry, to kind of uh, on a side note, I mean, uh, some I've I've read some commentators saying that this accident will actually. Uh, as well as being bad for the oil industry, it will increase scrutiny on another um, big energy sector that Obama's banking on, which is nuclear. I mean, is that true? Will, will the nuclear industry be worried about that? Well, I think we've all got to hope that it does increase scrutiny of the nuclear industry. Um, we've got a story going out in The Observer on Sunday which should um, highlight the kind of problems that we've already got at um, Sellafield, our biggest nuclear complex, before we get involved with a new generation of um, nuclear power stations. Um, But yes, I think it will, it should, it must involve more scrutiny and more concern about the way these um, large, very dangerous industries operate. Politically, Susie, where where does this story go from here? Where, Where next? Well, I mean, you know, you can see that the administration and and BP are desperate uh, for the top kill um, operation to work and and to to close this down. I mean, that's that's one thing. Um, no one. But the next stage, clearly, uh, it is um, to find out what happened and to see if there's going to be what, 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 whether there will be uh, criminal charges laid against anybody in connection of this and what the long-term cost is going to be. There's a number of investigations going on now uh, in Congress and in Louisiana. You know, the Justice Department is also looking to see whether 
Uh, there is a possibility of laying criminal charges against uh, BP or Transocean or any of the other companies in, involved in this. Um, there's a number of other cases going through the court seeking damages in connection with this, and there's a whole question of what kind of safety and environmental frameworks you put in place going forward if indeed America is going to continue to allow uh, deep water offshore drilling. And, and presumably, I mean, for the, what does this mean for the environmental movement? I, I assume it's kind of the, the best recruitment advertising campaign they've ever had. Well, yes and no. I mean, America is deeply divided on offshore drilling. And um, you uh, have seen in, in Congress while these investigations go on, I mean, you keep hearing, uh, you know, Republican members of Congress saying over and over, this should not stand in the way of oil exploration. We must not allow these concerns to sort of inhibit industry in any way. Uh, the, the Democratic senators from Louisiana say, look, you know, we depend on oil. You know, it's a huge industry for the survival of our state. So it will it will certainly uh, recruit more people to environmental causes. It's not clear at all if this is going to um, help advance, uh, you know, the program of clean energy uh, that Obama has. In fact, this may have buried it because it's, it's just too hard uh, to move forward. You're referring to the, climate, the, the American Power Act there. Yes, yeah. on the sort of a bill that to, that to deal with uh, greenhouse gas emissions or to encourage uh, the development of renewable energy sources. That's now all sort of being pushed off to a side, again, ironically because because of this bill. And uh, Terry, what, what what next for BP? You seem to be hinting earlier that you know this could be. You, you mentioned the word free for. I mean, what, what does this mean for BP? Well, I think ultimately it could be. Um, terminal for BP in terms of uh, an independent company when they got into trouble with the Texas City refinery fire there was um, talks with Shell about a possible merger there and that's the way the industry works if it sees one of its own um, weakened then there's others ready to pounce so I think um, if the share price does fall further you will see agitation and potential takeovers. That's all for this special Guardian Daily podcast, looking at the Deepwater Horizon oil spill. Thanks to my guests, Terry McAllister, the Guardian's energy editor, Suzanne Goldenberg, our US environment correspondent, and David Adam, our environment correspondent. I'm Adam Vaughan. Michael White and John Dennis will be back with Guardian Daily after the long British bank holiday weekend. Listener.